Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. This is Welcome to RSCC, and I'm glad to be with you today. My name is Rick Schonkweiler. I am a native Hoosier, so I'm on holy ground, right? Uh, I grew up in the western part of the state in Vermillion County, Uh, so when I was talking to Peyton a little while ago about basketball, runs through my veins. Let me tell you this. have a a nephew who graduated from Purdue. Sorry for him. And uh, I am uh, red-blooded IU all the way. I'm a missionary in Kentucky. There's not a lot of hope over there, but I am a missionary. And, uh, <laughs> and I have also ministered in Ohio to Buckeyes. They are yeah, worthless nuts. But other than that, no, I'm just kidding. It, it's, been, it's been a fun run. I retired in 2020 from White Oak Christian Church up in the northwest part of the city uh, around Northgate Mall. And I've been working with the uh, Find Your Next Ministry uh, for the last couple of years. We are a part of the Christian Church Leadership Network that meets there in Florence, Kentucky. And if you ever get a chance to drive on over, we're close to Menards and Costco. So that'll tell you kind of where we're located there in Florence. We've been working with uh, small to mid-sized churches, encouraging them. And uh, in the midst of all the changes that have been happening nationally, it has been more and more difficult to make connections with ministers, and so that's part of my role and my responsibility. Uh, that's why I'm working here with Rising Sun and look forward to the things that God's doing here in your midst. Thank you so much for letting us be a partner with you. This weekend, we're celebrating Labor Day, and, and of course, it wouldn't be Labor Day without a little rain. That just kind of goes with being here in the Midwest. Sometimes... We just kind of wonder why we go to work, right? For those of us who are retired, we wonder why we ever went to work. It it is an exciting time. But at the same time, we wonder about the effectiveness of our work. Same thing again and again, same roads that we travel, same people that we see. And for some of us, that's very wearying. The same can be true for our lives as Christians, though. I've watched that happen over and over again in Christians' lives whenever we seek to bring glory to God. You you see, it seems our efforts are just not enough and we look around our communities and we wonder, will it ever make a difference? Will it change people's lives? We wonder what's next. Many of us remember when we became Christians and the excitement of that moment. That, that thing that energized us, that message that changed our lives. And today, it's just not quite the same excitement. I mean, we go from that, that feeling that this is the place I want to be every Sunday and I want to be together with Christians and I want to follow the word and I want to do those things too. You know, that wall needs painted. You know, that floor needs some carpet. You know... Folks aren't quite as friendly around here. They don't greet me like they used to. We, we begin to, to step back from the excitement and begin to be overwhelmed by the discouragement. But I want to challenge you because I think that's the tool of the evil one. That's what he seeks to do, to bring division among us, 
to bring pettiness among us. And instead, I, I want to challenge you today from Luke chapter 5, some things that need to be rekindled in our lives. Do you remember when your children were little, or maybe your grandchildren, or maybe some of you who are still kids, you remember that time with your dad, uh, maybe your grandfather, maybe an uncle, uh, those times when my kids would love for me to swing them around in circles till they were so dizzy they'd fall over. How many remember that, that kind of time with your kids? Come on. I don't see any hands. You guys are all liars. Yeah. Yeah, those times that we'd watch them kind of do this routine, they'd fall over, you'd pick them back up, and, and, and sometimes you'd throw them up in the air. Sometimes, I know with my kids, we had a, we had a little balcony on our, on our front porch. We had a railing there, a wide railing. It's probably 18 inches wide. And uh, I, I would put my kids up on there, and then I'd say, just jump, jump. And early on, of course, their eyes are wide. They're not really sure about that. They lean way out and say, Dad, put your arms out a little bit farther. Catch me, catch me. Uh, it was not long until they were jumping right into my arms. It got to the point where, and maybe some of you experienced this too, that I might be mowing the yard and one of them would sneak up on the railing and jump on me as I'd go by in the mower, right? You, you always had to be ready for them because they were excited about that. They, they trusted, they expected me to catch them. And then they'd begin... They'd do it so many times, they'd be almost breathless. And, and they'd still say those words, do it again, Dad. Do it again. Do it again. And you'd do the same thing over and over and over again. And they never lost their enthusiasm. Do it again, Dad. Or do it again, Papa. I love to hear those words today from my grandkids. It, they were excited about what we'd been doing. Now we have seven grandkids, and when we get together, it's always me giving them a piggyback ride, or I'm, or I'm tossing them in the air, or, or chasing them through the house, jumping off things. My wife is a little nervous about that whenever the kids come over, but they'd say, do it again, do it again, and they would wear me out. Probably do that to you too. I'm so glad for Blue Emu and Johnny Bench after those times when they're around. Here's the deal. I want you to begin to use those words, do it again. Do it again, Jesus. Bring that enthusiasm and that excitement in those places where I take risks again for your kingdom, God. Do it again. Strengthen my faith. Build my life. Increase my testimony, my conversations with others about Jesus. That's my prayer for this season that we're in here at Rising Sun. Do it again, God. Rebuild the excitement and the enthusiasm. Not from nostalgia, but from effectiveness. Excuse me, I've got a little scratch. <clears throat> That's just water now. You ought to be aware of that. <clears throat> and it's good to welcome those of you who might be watching this online today as well or in the recording. But you know... My everyday life is not that exciting, right? I mean, that may be true for you as well. Ever had a day when you felt like you just accomplished nothing? I, I figured a couple of weeks ago I could just roll into the office and get a few th things done because the, the room was, the office was closed. Nobody was there. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> no one was there. And so I figured I could get a lot done, especially on sermons and talks that I had, but that didn't happen. Because you see, in the midst of that, 
I had to respond to phone calls and emails. There were a couple of hospitalizations I needed to call the family about because I continued to be friends. I had to prep for some meetings. The list went on and on and on. And I got, at the end of the day, I got through my list, but I hadn't spent any time on the sermon and what I thought was really important. I was reminded of that as I was reading through this account in Luke chapter 5 in the New Testament characters' lives. And this is what I love about the New Testament. Maybe you see this too as you're reading through it. The reality of their lives, the challenges in their lives are very similar to the challenges that we have, even though it's nearly 2,000 years ago. I'm sure that here in Luke chapter 5, Peter and his boat crew had a list. They had to beach the boat. They had to run out the nets. They had to clean and mend them. They had to eat breakfast, they had to get some sleep, <clears throat> and then they had to prepare the boat for the evening because you did fishing in the evening there on the Sea of Galilee. And for them, it had been a long and unproductive night. They hadn't caught anything, and they were very discouraged about what had happened. They were hoping that through this work that they would do today that they'd get a fresh start and a new beginning that evening. You know, sometimes for us, through this period of COVID-19 and other kinds of things that are going on, we're looking for fresh starts. We're looking for something new to begin to happen, for fresh reminders that the kingdom of God is expanding and growing, particularly through Rising Sun's influence. So I want us to think for a minute about refocus, about the tasks that we have before us and about the things that we are doing. Today we're asking God to do it again. Do it again. But we ask the question, what is the it What is it that we're asking him to do? It's that thing that Jesus was doing when he came. He came to preach the kingdom of God. He came to preach that God loved us and that God wanted us back into his family and it was gonna cost a lot in order for that to happen, but that Jesus would bridge that gap for us and that he would forgive us of sin through the shed blood on the cross, that we could be reunited with God, that we didn't have to be the way that we are that he could change us from the inside out. And I know that you look at our purpose, at our mission statement, at our vision, and our ministry here at Rising Sun. And so we ask that question, what does it look like to be a church and to be an individual believer? I'm captivated again by this story here in Luke chapter five. It's, It's a story where Jesus commandeers a boat, an odd story for our ears, but very real for that time. He's come to this place. He's surrounded by a crowd of people who have great anticipation of what he's going to do. And he walks onto that beach there by the lake. And while he has this crowd with great anticipation, he has the fishermen over here who are filled with disappointment and apathy and like, oh man, we've got to do this again tonight. They have empty nets. They have no income. And then Jesus gets into their boat, and all their life changes. I want you to hear that. That when Jesus is in your boat, your life changes. We sang about that as we were worshiping him today, about the things that Jesus changes in our lives because he's in our boat. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you have your Bibles, turn to that. If you have it on your phone, click that up. Here's how it reads. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. What Luke does here is he sets the scene for us, so we know this is set in reality. It's one of those places where we can check out historically 
what's happening here? But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. They had work to do. The next section, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Now, Simon is Peter. We know him as, as one of the apostles. This is Peter before he's really called by God to be in that. He asked him to put out a little from the land because there's a need for a space where he can speak so that people can hear him and can see him. And so he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. I always liked that part. I, I thought it was funny that we as preachers are always on the stage walking back and forth. Jesus sat down to teach. He didn't spend a lot of time walking over to connect with people and so forth. He sat down and people listened. I kind of like that at times just to sit on a chair. It'd be boring for you, but it'd be better for me. Here's the challenge. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down these nets. Here, and then it says, and when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. I, I love Luke's clinical approach here. Luke's a doctor, he's a historian. He does this in a very matter-of-fact way. You don't see the excitement and the chaos that's taking place. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled up both boats so that they began to sink. That's a pretty big deal. I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of the Ohio when it's been rough and maybe your boat has taken on some water. It's a long way to swim to either side, and these guys were a bit farther out than we would ever be able to get in the Ohio River. But Simon Peter saw it. When he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and says, now we get, we go from the reporter to the repentant. Peter sees these things happen, and he realizes something's up. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I don't know if Peter got that all the way at this time, but now Jesus is putting a call on his life. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Let's set the scene. We're at the Sea of Galilee. It's called Gennesaret by Luke. It's about eight miles wide, 13 miles long. To put it into our context, it's a little bit shorter than the distance from here to Patriot. And it would be four miles on each side of the Ohio River. That's how big this lake is. It's 700 feet below sea level, which makes it deeper than Death Valley. And, and it's fed by the Jordan River that flows in from the north and flows out to the south into the Dead Sea. It's located about 60 miles northeast of Jerusalem and 25 miles east of Mediterranean Sea. It's susceptible to storms and it is a dangerous place. You can kind of see a little bit, this is a little bit more of the modern uh, Israel kinds of settings, but here we are. Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea. The boats the men were using were similar to this picture here. This was found in 1980 near the north end of the sea and the, it was probably big enough for 15 men to work in. 
The best time for fishing was always at night, and it was always at the north end of the sea where the fresh water was flowing in from the Jordan River. About 12 years ago or so, Israel had to close the sea to allow the fish population to come up. It's still a fishing area. Some of you may have been on, on uh, Holy Land tours and you've been to the Sea of Galilee and it's an active fish production place today. All that's to say that the livelihood of these men depended upon catching fish. It was not the tourist season. It was not hoping that people would come and ride on their boats just to see the hillsides and everything else that's going on. No, they had to catch fish. And when they didn't catch fish, they didn't get paid. And when they didn't get paid, it was hard to keep the boats up. And so here they are in that morning. They're, they're repairing, cleaning, and drying their nets. They're, they're preparing for the hard work that they know is coming. And here comes Jesus walking down, a crowd of people following him. And because there's such a great crowd, Jesus asked Peter, the boatman, he says, I want to take your boat out into the water. It becomes a natural pulpit for Jesus to speak from. And Peter readily gives up his boat. Now, we don't realize how crazy this sounds. They're getting the boat ready for fishing that night where they're going to make money if they catch fish. And Peter allows Jesus to interrupt everything that's happened. Everything that's necessary for them to catch fish that evening. Do you see how odd that sounds? I mean, how many of us, if Jesus came into our lives and into our work environment and said, I need to interrupt today, I need to do this, how many of us would say, could you hold off till 4.30? Could you wait till 5? I mean, I'm at work, you don't need to be involved in my life right now, Jesus. That's part of what is our challenge that we compartmentalize our Christian walk in such a way that if he wants to interrupt, we go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Ohio State and Notre Dame are on TV, man. I'll get serious about you after that's over. No, Jesus walks in to the busiest time of Peter's life and takes his livelihood. And Peter says, yes. You know, why would he do that? Well, we read in the Gospel of John and we read in some other places where Andrews introduced Peter to Jesus. This, introduce, this introduction takes place while Andrew was listening to John the Baptist teach. And so Peter has met Jesus and he has spent some time listening to him. This is not the first time that he's heard Jesus speak. There's a, there's a history there, but, but it's amazing that Peter immediately responds to the voice that speaks to him. And when Jesus steps into the boat, Peter quickly responds. There is something amazing about to happen. Some of you are here today, you've been following Jesus. You've been listening all along and things are back to usual for you now. The everyday cares of life begin to press down and press against you and your enthusiasm for the things of God has dimmed. You haven't seen those spectacular, amazing things that maybe somebody promised you would take place. Today, I want you to pray, though. I want you to pray. Do it again, God. Do it again. Now, Jesus tells Peter to go out into deep water. Peter can hardly believe his ears. Jesus, it's okay for you to use my boat for a pulpit and to speak to these people, but now, now you want to be a fisherman too? 
Now you want to tell me who've grown, who's grown up here, done all these things all my life, you want to tell me how to fish and when to fish Jesus. We don't fish in the morning. We, we don't fish out here in daylight. We fish at night. I mean, I've been on these waters all my life. I know the best places and times to fish. And I was there last night, and they were dry. It's useless to cover the same ground again, Jesus. Come on. Luke doesn't record any of that in the text. But you and I both know that had to go through his mind. That had to be something that was happening here. You've heard it said, people say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result. And that can be true. Because of our experiences, we tend to be skeptical that God can do anything different in our circumstances than what's already happening. It's so easy to focus on our struggles and let them define us. It's so easy to believe us, but we need someone to interrupt that kind of thinking. And that's what Jesus does. Those thoughts have been going on in Peter's mind, but all of a sudden a little bitty word shows up. But, but, this is the game changer word in the text. Peter says, man, we did all this stuff last night. But, because you say this, Jesus, we will do it at your word. This is my clue that something's about to happen that is going to be so strange. I've read this text so many times, and maybe you have too, and we just glide through it as a part of our reading program, and off we go. But here's the deal. When I'm skeptical about life, there's one truth I know. I'm not spending enough time in God's word. I'm not spending enough time with the stories that are told. I'm not spending enough time reading what he says. I'm not reading and listening to it. I'm not asking the question, God, what are you trying to say to me in this text? What are you trying to teach me in this text? How are you trying to change me in this text? Are you caught in a place right now where you're skeptical? Where you're caught up in the arguments that are happening politically or locally or whatever else is going on? And you're just not sure anything will change? Generally, during that time, God is saying, why are your eyes out here instead of up here and letting me change you in here? We get caught up in all the chatter and all the chaos and we don't let the Christ in the middle of our lives. You can't be obedient to God's word if you don't know what it says. And around here, we, we just see a great way in order to be a part of a group, be in a class, be in one of the life groups, reading the word on your own. That's the challenge today and one of your next steps. All of a sudden, we realize as we're reading this story that it's about building Peter's faith in Jesus. If he fails to trust Jesus, he's going to miss the best that God has for him. And what happens next will build his faith in Jesus as a provider and protector. Let's look at it again. It says this. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. <clears throat> and when, but when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Their nets are breaking. They call for reinforcements. 
They, they, they're scrambling to land the catch and to keep the boats from sinking. <coughs> Excuse me. The chaos and noise must have been overwhelming. And it's this point in time when I begin to ask the question about my own life, Am I more of a reporter of just, oh, those are just the facts, ma'am. Those are just the facts that are going on. Or am I going to be more like Peter and be repentant? When God does something in your life, do you have a tendency to just recount it or say, ah, well, that's God showing up? Or do you have a tendency to be astonished that the God of the universe would do anything in your life? And you fall down in repentance, saying, God, I'm not worthy of you doing this in my life. I think that's one of the challenges for us as Christians. It's an aspect of pride that we have, <clears throat> that when God doesn't work on our behalf, we do say thank you, but there's very little of going, oh my goodness, good God Almighty has stepped into my life, and I am not worthy of his mercy Peter realizes he's in the presence of no ordinary man. His cry is similar to Isaiah's when Isaiah says, Oh, me, man of unclean lips. It's a recognition of his personal sinfulness and the holiness of God in the same place. Surely God would not want to be there. Simon's unworthy of his presence. And so Jesus says, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You see, when God does something in our lives, when we are astonished, there ought to be a little bit of all of a sudden kind of this, whoa, whoa, God did that? God did this in my life? God, I'm not worthy of you doing that. God says, don't be afraid. <clears throat> I'm doing this so that you can catch men, so that you have a testimony to say to people, here's how God showed up in my life in a time when I didn't expect it. In essence, he says, I want you on my team. He's telling Peter and those with him, he's going to partner with him and, and these, in accomplishing his purpose on earth to catch people and to bring them in, to bring them into the kingdom of God. You see, when Jesus is in your boat, everything changes. So I ask you about your own life. Those of you who are Jesus' followers, Jesus is in the boat. What's different about you today? What's changed in your life? Well, there are three things I want you to pick up from this passage. They seem simple, but I know they're hard to do. There are three T words I want you to get, and the first word is trust. I, I, I'm trusting that God will do what he promises, that Jesus is the right guide, that he's the right place, he'll take me to the right place, and that he will give me the right challenge for my life. See, that's the aspect of trusting. It's not just, ooh, take care of me. It is that he's going to guide me, that he's going to take me to a place, and he's going to challenge me. I learned this a few summers ago when I was able to go do some deep sea fishing. Maybe you've done this as well. I had this opportunity. We were deep sea fishing off the coast of North Carolina. We had the right guide who took us to the right place, and then he gave us the right challenge and the right bait, and that's the result now, let me tell you, that guy put up a fight, but it was worth it. And I could never have caught him if I'd stayed on the beach, if I'd stayed comfortable. I had to go out into deep water in order for that to happen. And it's only when I put out into deep water in my own life that I can see God at work. As long as I seek to play it safe, I'm not trusting him. 
My effort to become more efficient or useful in life is done in my power, and there's no joy. In my attempts to serve, my kind words are misunderstood. My efforts are pushed aside and unappreciated. But I must trust that he's at work and launch out again into deep water. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, for it's there that I see God at work. So I have to trust him, but second, I have to tremble. This is one we don't do well. This aspect of trembling when we're in the presence of God. You know, whenever I'm worshiping, whenever they are singing, whenever I'm singing to, there's an aspect that we're in the presence of God. I know he's there all the time. And sometimes we just kind of have him over to the side. And in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. And that ought to be a time when you go, oh my, God wants to be here. As I take this piece of bread and as I drink this juice, and I am so unworthy, but this bread and this juice remind me that I have become worthy because of what Jesus has done in my life. I tremble. Peter trembles when he realizes that Jesus is more than a good teacher, that he is God. God is in the boat with him. Like Peter, we all have to tremble at this disconnect between our sinful lives and God's greatness. We sin because we trust our own ways, our own abilities. We align our God, lives with God when we choose his ways. I tremble because this is scary stuff. I tremble because God is so amazing. I tremble because God wants to be in relationship with me so that I call him Abba Father, not just God. I tremble because he wants to be in charge of my life and I want to be in charge. I tremble because he wants to change my life. And why, why does he want to change my life? Because he wants to change the world through me, through you, through this church. And he tells me not to be afraid that he will care for me. He accepts me. There's no doubt about it. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again. You know, throwing my grandkids in the air, there was a lot of laughter. But at first there was terror. Their eyes were this big around when you toss them up in the air, right? And you have that, that whole sense of, is he really going to catch me? But now, now they know and trust me, and they expect that to happen. I have him run over to me. I've got a little two-year-old grandson. And he comes running in, Papa, and he runs in and puts his arms up, and he expects me to pick him up and throw him in the air. I'm getting a little old to do that with this little guy. But that's an expectation now. They have no cause to doubt because we have a history together. What have you let God do in your life that's just blown your mind, blown you away? Not just to amaze you, but to change you. Maybe he's taken that cynicism. Maybe he's taken that anger. Maybe he has taken that, that way in which you treat people and you are now a very different person. Simon thought he was going out to catch fish, but he came back changed. So we got trust, we got tremble, and the third word is tackle. I, I know, that's a little trite and a little tricky football season. That's why I had to put it in. Too often, we just jump into the task, though. We don't spend time being prepared and ready to tackle. We want to do that, but not to trust or tremble towards the one. And to do that, to just jump in and tackle, is a lot like being running on a treadmill. You know, you can put in a lot of effort, but you don't go anywhere. If we don't trust and tremble, over God, then when we tackle, we will not accomplish what God has in mind. I mean, just because we're busy doesn't mean we're accomplishing anything. In fact, rarely do the two equate accomplishment and busyness. 
Just like the Wednesday I was talking about whenever I came in and had all those things that were on my desk. When we place our trust in God, we have a better, a better perspective of what we should be tackling. After all, none of us can effectively tackle everything. And if we try, we find ourselves grossly ineffective. And so Peter has one thing, catch fish. Jesus has one thing on his mind, to make a man who will catch men. I know that seems a little forced, but what I mean is each of us will be challenged to partner with God to accomplish his purpose and his mission here at Rising Sun. When we say we're about taking your next steps with Jesus, that, that can be our mission statement, to lead people into life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And it takes every one of you for that to happen. You were made for more than just sitting here. Where does he want you to cast his net? To discover his greatness. To catch his fish. Again, Peter went out to catch fish, but he came back to challenge men. You've been a lot, through a lot of changes here at Rising Sun, and there are more to come. We anticipate more in this year ahead, and change can be difficult. But I should warn you, you will have to change. That won't come easily, because God is in the change business in my life. You remember Mark Twain was correct when he said the only one who really likes change is a wet baby. Think about that one for a while. Breaking out of the old tired routines is one of the secrets for staying young and energetic. So the question we're going to ask this, if Jesus got into your boat, what would change? Jesus is in your boat. What will change? He speaks to your faith. He speaks to your profession. He speaks to your dreams. He speaks to your relationships. He speaks to your today. And he speaks to your life. Our desire here at Rising Sun is to make disciples, devoted followers of Jesus. And as disciples are made, they naturally gather in the church body. Often we just look at this weekly gathering to form us, but in reality, we are formed more by who we are and what we do the other six days of the week as we walk with Jesus through the week. And that's why Jesus goes into the boat, into Simon's profession, to show us that he wants to be in every hour and every minute of our lives. Do it again, Jesus. Would you say those words with me, please? Do it again, Jesus. I want to hear a little louder. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, we cannot go back to life as before. Now we have to live in expectation. We look for something different, and we listen to his word to do. So what are your next steps? I, I want to challenge you to pray every day for the rest of this year, the next four months. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. And choose one thing. What's the thing that you want him to do again? And tell him, talk to him about that. For some of you, it may be deciding to follow Jesus for the very first time. And I'd love to talk with you up here after the service is over. I know there are other leaders here at church that would love to talk to you about how to change, have your life changed by Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again. Would you pray with me, please? Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. 
If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.